Hello and welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. It's your boy Jay Rich, aka John Richards, here with C Last, aka Chris Laster. What's up, homeboy? Ah, what up, Jay Rich? How are you, fam? I'm good, man. I'm good. I was a little bit down, a little bit sick, uh, but I'm feeling much better now, and it's good to be back with you for episode number 63. And you got a fun fact for our people, don't you? Yeah, first of all, let me just make sure I'm trying to figure out. Which am I getting baritone Jay Rich today? Because sometimes when you're not feeling the best, your voice gets a little deeper. Um, you're gonna but, get you're gonna get the tenor version at least. I might go baritone a little bit in this episode, so we'll see. <laughs> Fun fact is Jordan career playoff high sixty three. Um, I think it was his second year. It might have been his first playoffs because they missed the playoffs his first year and he got hurt his second year. So it could have been year number three but he had 63 in that iconic game, even though they were swept by the Celtics. Um, that was kind of the day where we were like, okay, the league is Jordan's. When you look back, that was kind of the signature game. It's like, okay, no one really can do anything with this kid. Thus, it was a, a signature point uh, for the legend, the GOAT. Yeah, when and, he was when he was dribbling ball between his legs, you was like, man, this dude like out here on the blacktop, man. He out here playing around. Probably knew he was going to get swept. So he was like, let me show them, give them a preview of what's about to happen over the next decade or so. <laughs> so 63 for Jordan. Shout out to MJ and his playoff game. And you know, Hoops is right here, man. As a matter of fact, as we're recording this, the first game of the NBA season is going down the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. For those of you who are just joining us on the podcast, we discuss sports culture and theology through the lens of the gospel. That is the gist of our podcast. That's what we love to talk about. And we always like to kick it off with a sports topic. And obviously, since it's opening night in the NBA, bro, we got to talk about the league, the L. Both of us love basketball, love hoops. Played it at some point in our careers. <laughs> and now we just love watching, right? And we got to kick it off with my boy, man, because we got to figure out what's going on with Jimmy Butler, a.k.a. Jimmy Buckets. You got to tell me what's happening with your boy, man. Hey, like he's a two-way player that's intense. And um, right now he's straddling that line between here's how I feel like you got to get young kids ready and professionalism. <laughs> and I'm not sure if he's straddling it correctly. He might be on the side of wilding out. So yeah, they're going off on coaches, on GMs, on janitors, on everybody in the building. So for most people, for people who don't know, Jimmy Butler came back to practice right before the season started and he caused a ruckus. As a matter of fact, he ran with the second team players and beat all the first team guys talking smack the entire time, not only to the players, but to the coach and the GM. He was all over Tibbs. He was all over everybody because he's got this contract dispute. He's not happy. They tried to trade him to Miami. It didn't go down. So Jimmy Butler is in Minnesota causing some havoc, not only in the locker room, but on the practice floor as well. I'm looking forward to that first game because they say he's going to play. I'm shocked. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with Jimmy Butler, man. What's cracking with Jimmy Butler? Here's my problem with what's going on, okay? Because I'm a big locker room type guy. And this guy comes in and does this. This is going to destroy any 
locker room team chemistry that they have. I think they went one and four in the preseason. They've been distracted all summer. This isn't what you want to see from a young up and coming team. They got Cat. They got your boy Wiggins. They got some good young pieces. But now Jimmy Butler is going to play the villain on this team and probably cause them to implode this year. I'm not even sure if they're going to make the playoffs. It's a sad beginning in Minnesota. They already struggled trying to get players to play in Minnesota. And now your boy, Jimmy Buckets, is having some problems there, man. So I know we're going to do some predictions later, and I'll, I'll add a little, but does Jimmy Buckets end the season in a Timberwolves uniform? I don't think so, man. I think at some point they have to trade him for the sake of those young guys. Right. But those young guys aren't necessarily so young, especially in the case of Wiggins. And Jay Rich, just imagine if you had, if you were way better than the kid, but you seen the kid had way more natural potential, but just not the heart to put in the work. Like how frustrated you would be like, yo, if I, you know how we do. Mm-hmm. Yo, if I was seven foot, like we always tell that to the seven footers, right? Like, yo, if I had your physique, right. if I had it, I would be killing cats, you know? And so he's like, look, if I had the natural skills of the number one pick, Andrew Wiggins, like, you know what I'd be doing? Like, <clears throat> you got to understand Jimmy Butler's story. Like he came from the mud, uh, was temporarily homeless, wasn't a top draft pick. And he's worked his way to be, all-star so to watch in that locker room and see these kids coast and not put that work in that's got to be hard for him to watch at the same time that doesn't give him the right to like try to change that locker room culture in unprofessional ways my man is just straight wilding out in the locker room so right right now if you're going if you're coming in as a, a veteran who is someone who wants to be there who doesn't have any dispute with upper management I give you permission to speak to the young guys like that to kind of light a fire underneath them, right? But when you got all the baggage that Jimmy Buckets is bringing, I'm not so sure that he's the guy that I want talking to these guys about what he needs to be talking about to himself, which is to make sure that he has the humility to say, hey, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to play and I'm going to help these guys develop the way in which they need to develop. But Jay Rich, you know, as a communications major, right? And they had that saying that the medium is the message. So notice when he said it, as he take the bottom five players on the roster (laughs) 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 and beat the starters like a drum in practice. If you're the starters, you cannot let that happen under any circumstance. You can't. You really can't. You're the starters. And he took the end of bench players and actually decided that he was going to beat those guys, man. It's crazy. It's going to be great to see how this – In the West, on a playoff team in the West. Yeah, I know. It's going to be great to see how this plays out. Uh, speaking of playing out, uh, we love storylines to start the season. I'm very interested in trying to hear from you what your top storyline for 2018 is going to be, if you had to pick one. I'm super excited for Celtics-Lakers again. Anybody who knows anything about basketball and – they got that great documentary series on I love this game. Why I love this game. You know the history of the Lakers and Celtics. And I'm just super excited about the next level of that rivalry and the faces that they introduced and the storylines like reuniting Kyrie and LeBron. But this time it's part of the Lakers-Celtics rivalry. So 
that that's my top storyline. I'm also super excited to see Kawhi go back to San Antonio. Oh man, you really taking my dog on thunder, huh? That's my how you rolling. Well, you know, my, my top storyline entails that, but it also entails Kawhi's journey to Toronto and what's going to happen with him this year, man. I feel so bad, man, because all the memes this summer had the Kawhi laugh going on. And it was <laughs> it was pretty epic. I ain't even gonna lie. It was pretty epic. But for a guy who's really quiet and see him kind of laughing on camera, it was hilarious but it also kind of shows that he's kind of a reserved cat a cat who doesn't really say much he just kind of plays the game of basketball and that's what I loved about him but now he's in Toronto he's got kind of a villain role especially for folks who are San Antonio fans so we're going to see how he gels with your boy Lowry and others to see if they might actually make some noise and if he sticks around that's going to be my top story to see what happens with Kawhi? Because as much as I talk about him, I still got love for the man. Still got love for him. My man ain't say no villainous words. <laughs> like, like he said we no just villain. had all these thoughts thinking, but he didn't we, say any words. But I think probably because of his actions, right? He he did the whole <laughs> New York thing. He set out for seven months just hanging out. So folks just kind of made him out to be this boogeyman or villain. And he's yeah. he's probably every, the nicest guy that you know, right? Do you think everybody or just Spurs fan? That's a serious question. Like, is he a villain in the league now? Is he in wrestling parlance now a heel? I don't know, man. I think other players or even fans are like, why is he not playing? Like, they were tracking that story like he was a villain. You know what I mean? But because San Antonio is such a upstanding organization, even ESPN kind of played him in that heel role. So that's going to shape people's perceptions of him uh, as a basketball player. So obviously he's going to get love in Toronto and and it'll probably blow over, but it's going to be interesting to see how things go for him this year. All right. Just two more quick things. First of all, when he laughed, nothing was funny. Like <laughs> not, not a thing. <laughs> reporter that asked the questions. And he just got super weak, and like it, like it wasn't funny. It was like um, he asked he asked a regular question. I guess he was like he said, "I can't even see you," and then he just started busting out laughing, bro. I was like, "What is wrong with him, man? What's going on?" The funniest thing that won't be a storyline at the end of the year, but like I can't stop laughing at now, is the Golden State sign Boogie's brother, <laughs> bro. I mean, yeah. you understand, folks signing Seth Curry. But who gonna sign Boogie Cousins' brother? He probably been hanging around in Sacto. <laughs> just, That's what I'm saying. <laughs> just hanging out. <laughs> Listen, I could just see him in the locker room dressed, and the the management don't even know what happened. And they were like, yo, who is this? And Boogie like, hey, that's my brother. It's good to be around with us, right? Nah, he good, right? He good. <laughs> hey, he with me today. <laughs> exactly, bro. Exactly. <laughs> Like, yo, don't even fight it. Just put him on a 10-day contract. That's hilarious, man. One of those little-known storylines, right? Speaking um, of storylines, bro, I, I need to get this last thing from you, okay? Because we like to get this on wax quickly. What is your NBA Finals prediction? Warriors Celtics. You going dub Celtics? Huh. I am. Here, I'm going to go out on a limb, Okay. I'm going with the youngsters from Philadelphia and the, the Warriors. Put it on wax. And they're playing tonight. 
Might be a preview of a Eastern Conference Finals matchup. Who knows? All right, bro. It's time. Kanye West. I had a couple of folks ask me. Shout out to Derek Gilden, who just got married. Uh, I need you guys to do a podcast. I need to know about this whole Kanye West situation. And I want you to bring the gospel to bear on it. So we're going to try to do that, aren't we? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just pray for your wisdom now. So. <laughs> exactly. Right, let's go. Oh, man. So just as a recap, uh, Kanye West appeared on Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago, and he was their featured artist. And at the end of the show, there was a very awkward moment where he kind of went on a rant about being a Trump supporter and... He talked about black folks and it was very Bill Cosby-esque in the sense that he lamented about the black community in front of the black cast members. Now, if you ever want to see somebody awkwardly stand on stage, just watch that Saturday Night Live episode where he's up there just doing a rant with Chris Rock recording it, giving some amazing commentary on it. Make sure you Google that and find that because it is money. It is gold. On top of that, he decides he's going to make a visit to the White House, or at least the president invites him to come to the White House. And Kanye talked everything from alternative universes to actually (laughs) setting up some Trump businesses here in the Chicago area. It was a very weird conversation. Now, we all know that he uh, has come out and said that he's bipolar and that, you know, there are some things going on. But the black community is not so sure what to do with yay, man. And I need some help, Chris. I need you to help me, man. Talk me off a ledge, man, because I'm not trying to cancel Kanye, but I'm close to canceling Kanye. So help me. Counsel me. All right. So just we're going to run through a bunch of things real fast. So Derek, homie, I'm sure you have some of the similar thoughts, but we're just going to run through them real fast. First of all, uh, mental health is a real thing. So. um like we we're always careful to like point out and laugh or dismiss when someone is dealing with uh mental health stuff right especially when they're out like when you're to the point where you're out and you're discussing it um like we want to be cautious there right um and then i just want to touch on a few things real fast so you mentioned bill cosby anyone who does the scholarly work of uh, the black community in america um at the risk of just gross oversimplification, right? Um, there are some things that have been personal that have happened to Blacks, and there are some things that have been systemic. And then there have been problems that um, are our own doing, and we'll acknowledge those and we'll own those, you know? Um, we've had opportunities to correct some of those things, and those problems have lingered in our communities. At the same time, we see those as wings of an airplane, and they both guided us here. And so when you hear someone come in and they just talk about the airplane wing of personal responsibility, which is a real one, um, but not talk about the airplane wing of like, here's what systematically has put the black community in this place. The message comes across lopsided and it says like all blacks have to do. And a lot of the times when we hear those messages, it comes um, from the Bill Cosby, just kind of the finger pointing, not like I'm down here with you trying to raise you up. I'm not Martin Luther King moving into the projects in Chicago 
trying to figure out like how to help my people, it's um, just a very condescending thing. And the worst part about that is when people latch onto that and then say, aha, like we bear no responsibility um, for the black community's plight. Even Kanye says it. And then uh, the black, um, <clears throat> the black community gets offended. Um, everyone changes their mind, right? Like we grow, like we get new information, we process differently, we come to different conclusions. So I think a lot of people felt lost when Kanye went from George Bush don't care about black people to wearing a make America great again hat to the side. But like you're able to be a free thinker in this community. But the other thing that works against him is um, his financial situation has changed a ton and his profile has changed a ton. And it just so happens that a lot of that thought seems to coincide with that financial situation. So people are going to be dismissive there as well. And then the final thing, and this is something I talked to you off the air. I'm like Kanye, but not like Kanye in the sense that I, I'm in a multicultural marriage. And because of that, when people ask me to speak on certain issues, I always try to qualify it and say like, hey, I'm in a multicultural marriage and I can speak to that, but I'm not processing everything that's happening in the black community with a black woman every single night as we try to raise a family in that space. Our family's multicultural and here's how we process it. And it's different. It's not the exact same. So um, whenever I want to speak into something, like I need to offer that qualifier. Mm. And I think that's the other thing that really has frustrated people is like, like Kanye, like this isn't even your circumstances to some extent. So if some people are like, if you come to this and you're listening, you're like, oh, like why won't why won't the black community just embrace Kanye's free thought? I think those are some of the points that the community would raise to say, like, to varying degrees. Like some people are like, okay, and we never gave much thought to what Kanye thought anyway. He's just a musician. To let's cancel Kanye, so it can go across the whole board. But um, out of all that, I do say like, let's pray for him, especially around the mental health issue. Thoughts, Jay Rich? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of want to talk about what Jackie Hill Perry said about Christian speakers, and I think it applies here in this context. We're talking about Kanye. She basically mentioned that she thinks that Christian speakers and teachers have to be willing to say no when asked to speak on things that they're not equipped to speak on. And I think one of the problems with folks with platform, especially celebrities, is that there's not enough homework being done to be able to speak on certain things. And they don't have the willingness to say no, to say that they're not going to be able to do that. One of the things that I can appreciate about LeBron James is that you could tell that this brother has done some research homework um, in one, launching his school, and two, talking about social issues. He's very keenly aware of those issues. When I listened to Kanye, especially uh, in that first TMZ interview, uh, where he was just basically spouting stuff from his phone, from notes that he was jotting down on the plane, it seemed like it was incohesive and all over the place and uneducated. And he even came to a point where he said, hey, I might have to go back and do some more research on this. So I think that that advice for anybody, platform or not, um, when you don't have an informed conversation that you can have with people around an issue, 
is be willing to say no. Like there's some stuff that's not my lane that I'm not going to be able to talk about. And I think this is where he has landed in a space that's probably not a space that he needs to be having that conversation in. So I am just trying to not cancel Kanye in that sense, but at least get him to um, understand that that platform that he has um, has to be a platform that is used in a very informed way to be able to have those conversations. And he's not there right now. And I think it's hurting the dialogue, especially when there are folks in the White House and otherwise who say, see, I told you, Black people feel this way about it um, by taking this one guy's opinion about something and painting it with a broad stroke and saying, hey, this is what Black people feel about this. Yeah, and I think um, just isolated, some of the sound bites are things that could just be taken with and ran with, and that's where people are like, wait a minute, like this is going to do harm to the community. But I will acknowledge that um, Kanye's point, too, if someone in the Black community begins to think differently about an issue, there is a lot of pushback. Like, I'll give him credit for saying that and acknowledging, like, I see that at sometimes, you know, like, we have this saying, like, you're not invited to the cookout, you know? And, and why do we say that? And that's worth the introspection. So I appreciate him, like, helping us think through that and saying, like, hey, like, we're in the skin we're in, and we may think differently. Like, that has to be broader. And maybe some other people need to not be canceled from the cookout so quickly. If you bring in crayon raisins and putting it in my chicken <laughs> salad, though, you might, you might, you might get canceled from the cookout. No, that's funny, man. We, we mentioned this, and I'll mention this briefly. Like, we talked about this earlier today about Brian Loritz's three categories um, in his book, Right Color, Wrong Culture. He talked about Carlton. He talked about Denzel. He talked about Ice Cube. And Black folks running the spectrum in terms of our opinions. I'd, I'd just say that Kanye was neither Carlton, Denzel, or Ice Cube in what he was saying. It was just like... Um, that alternative universe that he was talking about, it felt like they were coming from that alternative place, which yeah. to some degree you... Put him as Carlton in that? I would think so, but I think it was Carlton on steroids. That's something, <laughs> something that the black community has to wrestle with. Obviously, you know, we, uh, we're we trying to kind of process this, but at the same time, we we continue to pray for Kanye. We know he... He's had some several issues over the years uh, with his mom dying and other things that are happening in his personal life. And being bipolar is certainly nothing to uh, to mess around with. Uh, but we know that he's in the space now uh, where he's going to need the prayers of the saints. One of the things that we want to make sure we do here on the podcast is as we talk about cultural issues, that we recognize that there are some image bearers that we talk about. Um, and he's someone who was created in the image of God, and we will continue to pray for him. So, Jay Rich, even as we wrap up that Kanye conversation, uh, it just has me thinking about just the divisiveness we live in in this particular uh, cultural moment where you have to be either pro this or anti that in every situation and carry the according hostility towards the people who don't share your view. So that makes it already an interesting time. Uh, to be alive. But then when we add to it, um, hey, we have a call to evangelize, to make disciples, uh, to go out to share our faith, to share the hope that we have um, 
what does that look like in a culture that's already tense, already arguing all the time, already feels very much like I have to be in this box or that box, and increasingly just has more of a hostility uh, towards Christian faith as they think of it as just a political wing. Um, so what does it look like um, to share our faith in a culture, in this, uh, in this cultural moment? Specifically, I was thinking about uh, two verses that I thought were just incredibly helpful. That one is in First Peter when he says, um, we always have a reason for the hope that we have. But then he also qualifies it in how we should share it and talks about the gentleness um, that we should share it with. And then also in um, Colossians 4, and um, all our conversations should be seasoned with grace. You know, I'm big into seasoning. So seasoning with grace sounds great to me. Um, <laughs> and Paul and Peter both seem to be concerned about just not that we share our faith, but how we share our faith. So what does it look like to have a winsome faith in this cultural moment that we're in, Jay Rich? Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that verse in First Peter 2, where it talks about being always prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And I'm, I'm glad that Peter doesn't stop there, right? He says, but I want you to do it with what? Gentleness and with respect. It seems like he was very intentional there because when we do answer people, when we do give an answer for the hope that is in us, when we do share what we want to share with other people, uh, there is this um, tension there, or even uh, we could be kind of tempted to be able to do so without being gentle or without being respectful. And the key to being a winsome witness in this culture that is very antagonistic is that we need to be gentle in our approach and we need to be respectful in our approach. Uh, in fact, the word for gentle there is basically you need to be humble. You need to approach that with humility, knowing that God extended his grace to you. You need to likewise extend that same grace to other folks. And when he uses that word respect there, it's the same word for fear uh, and not just any fear, but reverent fear. You need to have that reverential fear that God himself um, is the one who is ultimately going to judge your words and what you're saying. Um, so you need to be respectful to the person. Um, I'm very interesting that one of the fruits of the spirit is actually gentleness. So Peter uses that word and saying, hey, you need to be uh, producing this fruit even in these conversations. That can get tense sometimes. Some of the stuff that I've written on, people have gotten back to me and have been upset with me on what I've written on certain blogs. And I have to turn to this verse and say, hey, how do I do this with gentleness and with respect? So that's kind of how I approach it. And that's one of the verses that I kind of keep in front of me to make sure that um, the way that I'm responding to things uh, isn't ego driven, but gospel driven um, in the way that I respond to other people. And we need that in today's culture. What about you, man? How do you go about your winsome witness? I know there's some things even in your life down there in Stanton that you encounter regularly in terms of the culture. I wonder how you go about um, producing that winsome witness. Um, so um, a lot of my discipleship happened in the campus ministry um, that kind of had this motto of 
the winsome witness. Um, so this has kind of been something that I was kind of discipled into. Um, and a lot of it just thinks like, man, what would it look like for me to, like if, if the shoe was reversed and somebody was sharing their hope with me, how would I want that to come about? Really try to think through what the other person had in mind in that situation. So I always am trying to put myself in the mind of the other person. Like, what would this be like? Always trying to approach every situation with prayer and then just trying to always use kind words, even if it's hard truths, because sometimes the gospel does say hard things. Um, but I do think, just like we talked about Jimmy Butler, like you can't be going crazy. The medium is the message in that situation. Like they need to see like Christ formed in me and a gentle and humble spirit. Mm. So I, I always try to keep that in mind. And even as I engage in other things and that are happening in my community, Jay Rich, one of the things I always say is like, is this from a place of humility and gentleness? even as I speak to this issue, right? Like in our community right now, we have this huge thing going on about the name of the high school. Um, the city school board just voted to change the name of Robert E. Lee High School. And it's kind of left our community in an uproar and I want to engage. But I say like, am I engaging in a way that would always leave a door open for me to share the gospel with someone who was on the opposite side of that opinion? That's important to me. Like, I feel like my voice, my platform belongs to Jesus. And I don't want to do anything on my own that would ever cancel that out. That's facts right there. All right, bro. Uh, what we usually like to do at the end of each show is to give readers a glimpse of what we're, what's in our library, what we've been reading, what we've been listening to, uh, possibly give some folks some stuff to add to their own reading list. So I'll start. I've been reading several books lately, but I just got done with Francis Chan's new book, Letters to the Church. Uh, it's a great book, very convicting. He uh, basically calls the reader back uh, the first century church and to look at their practices and how we might be able to implement them in our own uh, current context. Uh, there were four pillars that they were committed to that he kind of walks through in the text. And it was very convicting, you know, to look at our services today and to think through how different they look uh, than that first century church. Chan always brings it. So it's a good book. Definitely would commend it to everybody. Letters to the Church, Francis Chan. Right now, I'm going through Russell Moore's The Storm Tossed Family. Um, and it is good. Um, it's just talk about um, holding on to the cross when the storms hit family life. I like this book a lot. I'm only about midway through. But before that, I was going through a book uh, called The Gospel Comes with House Keys by Rosaria Butterfield. And Jay Rich, it's easily in the top seven Christian books that I've read in my life. It was an audiobook, so I listened to it. But wow. I listened intently and I just loved I loved the book. I loved the spirit it was written in. I loved the practical wisdom. I loved the storytelling. She's a great writer and um just had a huge impact on me. So it was a very, very good book. I'd recommend that and I'll get back to you when I finish the Russell Moore book to let you know if it's a thumbs up, but so far it has been. For sure. And uh, we generally put all those links to those books in the show notes. So you should be able to see those in the show notes. Again, those aren't affiliated links. We don't get paid for none of those. We just love reading books and love commending books to our listeners. So hopefully you guys enjoy those. All right, bro. Closing shout outs. What you got, bro? 
two, but I'll make them really fast. First of all, today is my wife's birthday. So shout out to Emily. Even as we do this, she's getting up super early in the morning um, just to be with a friend um, in a time of trial and just tragedy. So uh, I'm seeing even in uh, her birthday celebration, her laying her life down, which is pretty cool. And also just one of my best friends growing up, Doc Walker. So um, I love that guy. I always have loved that guy. He's a day one homie. And um, he just got some really good news today after getting some really bad news for a while. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the homie Doc Walker. So he's one of Stanton's beloved kids and the king of comedy where we're from. Good stuff, man. Shout out to my hometown team, Brunswick High School, the Pirates. Yes, we are not changing our school's name. No shade, Lee High School. Um, <laughs> but we have our rivalry game this week, man. It's so good seeing on social media people just going back and forth. We played Glen Academy, which is our crosstown rival this week. And folks is just going back and forth. Makes you nostalgic for those high school days. So shout out to the Pirates, man, of Brunswick High, where my brother, Jason Vaughn, is one of the football coaches on staff. Yes, I'm only 200 pounds. But my brother is 345. And uh, we're cut from two different cloths. But we are brothers through and through. Hey, is the other school private? Why is it called Academy? Bruh, it's not, it's not private. But it was kind of the – my town was segregated. So it was the white school in <laughs> Brunswick High was overwhelmingly the black school. But they kind of did some integration in the 70s and 80s. But we still got some parity there. So that, that's why they call it the academy, quote, unquote. It's a public school through and through. I feel that. All right, folks, that's been episode number 63, the MJ Game 2, right? His coming out party episode, right? Uh, where he scored 63 points. Thank you guys for joining us. As always, go over to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Insta. Do we have an Insta? We got an Insta. Yes. At Boxing One Podcast. going over there and check us out. We appreciate you guys. Until next time, grace and peace to you all.